Welcome back to Questions and Answers about the Bible and Theology, a podcast of Crystal Lake Baptist Church. Today, I'm joined by Josh Wetstein, the Field Director of Church Planting with the SEND Minnesota-Wisconsin Baptist Convention. Josh, thanks for being willing to talk today about the Southern Baptist Convention and what's happening in the SBC in Minnesota. Yeah, you bet. Glad to. So the the impetus for this interview is really because there are several members of our church who, number one, haven't had the opportunity to meet you, and then number two, are fairly new to the Southern Baptist Convention. And Crystal Lake is a church that's in partnership with the Southern Baptist Convention and has been since the church started 54 years ago. And so we try to make sure that we recognize that heritage and, and continue to participate in this great commission work. And so maybe, Josh, you could just start us out by helping us understand what it means to be a Southern Baptist. Yeah, I think, you know, Southern Baptists have had a long history of cooperating together, not just financially, but um, together in local associations. You know, the history of Southern Baptists started uh, as cooperation of local associations and state conventions and then um, and, and then the, the broader aspect of it. But uh, a group of churches, Baptist churches, uh, originally in the, the southern portion that would uh, come together and be on mission um, to basically see the gospel go throughout the, the ends of the earth. And, uh, and so that's a super brief flyover of a very long and rich history. Yeah. Okay. And, and so there's been that impulse for great commission ministry. And maybe that explains some of the articles that were sent on to me this week about the president of the SBC going by the name Great Commission Baptist. And yeah. may, maybe you can fill us in on, on what that means and, and just uh, kind of how that reflects um, both the history of the SBC and the ongoing efforts to reach the world for the gospel. Yeah, I think that the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention was very regionally specific in in the South. And so as time went on, and especially I, I think in the past 10 years, especially as we went into because uh, we've gone overseas for some time. But as we really reached in the areas of North America that maybe uh, we hadn't reached before and, and, and gained a lot of ground, a lot of success, I think especially in the U.S., it was important for uh, us to just kind of rethink, you know, what is a name that isn't maybe so regionally specific and regionally tied? And I believe in 2008 is when there was a vote at the convention that there would be the secondary name. Uh, and, and it sort of floated around for a while, Great Commission Baptist, uh, but it really didn't catch fire uh, or momentum until probably this past six months. Uh, and I think it's a good sign because what you see is uh, not only we, are we planting a lot of churches, um, but we're going into areas in North America and, and really throughout the globe that a great, you know, a name that isn't so regionally specific uh, is, is helpful. I mean, it, it says more things. And, and I think it's less to do about the history of the name, uh, but it's more to do with uh, the mission uh, behind our name. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think it is what we, it's the heartbeat of who we are and who we've been for some time. 
Yeah, we we are part of the Pillar Network, a network of churches that are all Southern Baptist churches, and they they recently latched onto that name as well, especially as they're pursuing international church partnerships. And it makes great sense to me. Sometimes we yeah. talk to people who visit with us, and and they ask what it means to be a Southern Baptist in the North. It's like, well, yeah. it's Southern Baptists in the North and South are concerned about the Great Commission, so I think that works out really, really well. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, I, I read an article recently. I forget who it was by, but I thought they made a really good point that when someone says, who are you? Because the nomination always comes up. Who are you affiliated with? It always comes up. And when you say Southern Baptist Convention, of, of course, if you're in a certain part of the country, you know a lot of the history probably through your family and other areas. But being in a pioneer area, not just here, but the Dakotas and uh, and, and just other places in the West, they outside of the South – I think it says more and leads to a better conversation when you're able to say, well, we're Great Commission Baptists. Mm-hmm. What is a Great Commission? It's a, it's a, a much more gospel-centric conversation when you can explain what the Great Commission is as opposed to what you know a certain region uh, is or where a certain region is. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think about that Great Commission work and the partnerships of churches together in kind of two categories, the category of conviction, and so there's shared beliefs that are expressed in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, that statement of faith, but then also in, in the category of cooperation. And so yeah. we have the cooperative program, and we have agencies like the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board. And I'm wondering if maybe you can help us better understand what the cooperative program is and how these two arms relate to that program yeah i think the biggest thing for me like the cooperative program it's it's essentially uh, us in our forty-five thousand churches gathering together to pull resources in such a way that allows us to have a a really a broader and more dense impact on missions and and to make that very practical uh it, it, it it turns out like this so if you're a missionary say overseas or anywhere really even if you're in canada or north america you know anywhere in north america you're a missionary uh generally uh the the it, my wife she grew up in a certain denomination baptistic denomination where they didn't have a cooperative mechanism where churches came together and pulled their resources and so uh she she has so many stories of uh, people coming to their church at certain seasons and they would basically just go church after church after church asking for uh, talking about what God is doing and, and asking for funds to help uh, do that even greater, which mm-hmm. I, which is good. I, I think that's good. I think our churches still need to see that. And we see, we do do that a lot. But when we send our church planters into to partnering churches, they're talking about the mission, but they're not having to ask for a great deal of resources and funds because our churches have already said we will cooperate together create a pool of resources so that our missionaries can spend time being missionaries and not fundraisers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, that's not to take away anything that, that others may be doing. It just, uh, it's a time focus. And so for us, it just helps us uh, speed up the missional process. If our missionaries can just be focused on what they're trying to do rather than worrying about, uh, you know, the next partner they may get or, or what they may have to do in terms of fundraising and the time it takes. That for me is the, the big portion of the cooperative program. Now, you know, obviously it, 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 it funds agencies like the International Mission Board, the North American Mission Board, um, uh, helps fund our seminaries. 
um, the Ethics and Religious uh, Liberty Commission, the ERLC, and, and so many different things that uh, we, we call agencies uh, at different percentages. All those funds go into that. So if you're a small church of 40 people, and let's say your missions budget for the year is two thousand um, dollars. If you're not a part of the cooperative program, you have to spend time and resources figuring out who you're going to support, how you're going to support them, at what level you're going to support them, and and that's great. And 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 I'm thankful for churches that do that. But with us, you can do that if you want. But also, the primary part would be sending a great portion of that and entrusting. Uh, the, these agencies that basically the Southern Baptists vote on, entrusting these agencies to take care of that for them. Like the North American Mission Board, we uh, the, the the Southern Baptist Convention of Churches trust the North American Mission Board to uh, vet, find church planters, work with sending churches, vet out and assess these church planters, take them through training. Like the, the local church doesn't have to worry about any of that. They trust that we've got that taken care of. And that's a big part of the, and the IMB does the same thing, but that's a big part of cooperating together. It's probably a mechanism like um, it isn't, isn't rivaled in, in the local church in, in modern history, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think one of the biggest benefits of the cooperative program that I see is these churches coming together to make these things possible. Because if we as a small church had an individual or a family who desired to serve in foreign missions, well, we as a small church would be able to help them along the way, but then we'd have to send them across the nation raising support. And, yeah. and instead, we can partner with them and other churches who have this organization that we both look to to help do some of that vetting and to be able to send them out and to allow them to do that work rather than the work of fundraising. And um, I, I think that is really, really helpful. And and then, of course, I think the seminaries I've benefited from, and it, I'm assuming those seminaries just simply wouldn't exist apart from the partnership of these churches to help keep them running. No, for sure. I mean, you know, not only does the seminary help equip those that are going to uh, be a part of and be pastors of these churches, but in turn, these churches, in giving you the cooperative program, uh, they they support the seminary to a great degree, and not just the seminary. Like like you, I went to Southern Seminary, and so I benefited from um, uh, because I was part of an SBC church, fifty percent off my tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and what makes it so nice is not only are you getting that benefit. But uh, quite honestly, in my opinion, I'm probably biased. We've got some of the best uh, theologians there there is uh, within our seminary spheres. And so that's something you can be proud of. So you not only get a great discount, you get well-trained, but you're, you're actually you're, you're getting involved with some of the best theologians out there. Mm-hmm. And, and those programs really all work together. There are seminaries raising up. Uh, hopefully qualified and well-trained individuals. And then you have the missions agencies who are able to deploy those individuals to the field and hopefully see churches planted, started, that raise up others to do the same. And I think that's a a really great thing that is impossible for churches just to do on their own in all of those areas. I think so. I think it gives a voice and uh, it it gives some... uh, it gives the smaller church, which makes up the the landscape primarily of, of American churches, or our churches probably in general, it gives the smaller church a, a, 
more stake and more skin in the game and a voice that um, that they generally just don't have uh, as much of, say, like a, a mega church, a giga church, a larger church whose budget is millions of dollars. Most churches aren't that way. Mm-hmm. And if we pull those churches together, what we found is we can have that same type of voice missionally and impact missionally if we all come together cooperating. Now, sometimes we get asked if Southern Baptist churches are allowed to support non-Southern Baptist missionaries or social justice works or something like that. And I think the answer is very clearly a, a local church can support whoever they desire as missionaries outside of the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and there's no restriction on supporting additional missionaries because you're part of the SBC, correct? Oh, for sure. In fact, you know, up here, what we've found is we've found several new churches that are Baptistic that uh, just began to affiliate uh, with us for one reason or the other. And one of the things I try to make really clear, even if they didn't ask, uh, because I knew that they were coming from an independent stance where they probably were funding missionaries independently is – Yes, uh, you know, being part of SBC, you're giving you the cooperative program at some level, but don't. My encouragement to all of them was never let that take away from people that you are already supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and so yes, to answer your question. It's absolutely. I mean, and that's the beauty of the local church. And really, the the secondary and you know part of that response would be the autonomy of the local church. Not only is that rich in Baptist history, but especially for Great Commission Baptists. And, and so um, we. The, the local church, there is no authority that the convention, the state convention, the local associations, we are just a, a voluntary gathering of uh, like-minded churches that has no authority over the local church at all. Well, that that's probably helpful for some, especially who have not been part of a program like the SBC or a denomination that way, because I think as Baptists, we rightly value and cherish that autonomy of the local church. Um, but yeah. I've, I've personally been encouraged to see local churches partnering together to care about more than just that particular church. And in um, part of that, we've seen on display in the Minnesota-Wisconsin Baptist Convention. So we're in Minnesota. There's a, a local state convention. How does that state convention relate to the larger Southern Baptist Convention in, in the cooperative program? Yeah, so you've got you've got the larger national entity, which is the Southern Baptist Great Commission Baptist, and that really is um, not necessarily an actual thing until they come together each annually at the convention. That's when it's actually uh, an entity, but outside of that, it it really isn't. So the the mo- the bulk of what that is made up of is state conventions, and so you would have Minnesota, Wisconsin as a two state convention. The Dakotas are two state. And then, you know, some of the southern states are generally, you know, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina. They're all one state. But we really it's a conglomeration of state conventions. And the state convention is often made up of smaller gatherings of church, what we call associations. And so they would be, you know, a Twin Cities Association of Churches, a Madison and Milwaukee and you know, northern Wisconsin. And so they they really do it that way because the more local 
uh, the 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 gathering the the more local we can get with how we're serving these churches, the the better we serve. You know, at a national level, there's certain things that you can you you can expect and uh, you benefit from, but there's nothing like locality. And so the person, you know, our associational missionary and our city missionary that's over the Twin Cities, where they're going to know exactly what the Twin Cities needs more than more than we do at the state, more than we do at the national level. They're going to they're going to really know. And so it's really structured that way for that reason. Um, and, and so they all function like many conventions. You know, you have the national convention. So the state really functions just like the. The, the national convention just at a smaller level and the associations function just like state convention, just at a smaller level. Hmm. How, how important is it for local churches to participate in things like the annual convention, either at the national level or the state level? Uh, yeah, for me, and, and I guess I'm a little, I think all are good. I mean, if you can, if you can fit in the, the national and the, the you know, the, so the national, the state convention, and the, if you're if the church is a part of the the local association, those are all good because it, presence gives you a voice, and that voice helps you uh, really have a voice in the direction and vision and mission of the way things are going. I would say for me, I'm partial to the state conventions. Um, in the sense that if you could go to just one, if somebody if somebody said, I can only go to one, which one should I go to? For me, it would be the state conventions. And part of that is because that really is um, – it, it has a girthiness enough to where your impact and involvement um, is, is, is really known and, and really felt. And so I think if I had to choose one, it would definitely be the state conventions and – uh, we actually here in, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, we our last annual meeting, I think a third of them, a third of the attend, we had the largest attendance ever. It was in Green Bay and a third of the attendees were church planters. Hmm. And so I've always encouraged church planters to and, and this is something that Dr. Moeller encouraged. I remember him giving this encouragement in his uh, class conviction to lead is um, get involved. That's how you change things. That's how you give direction to certain things. But at the same time, you have to be careful of your time as a pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's why I encourage, lay, you know, the term is layman. I'm not certain mm -hmm. if, if I'm always comfortable with that. But like I, one of the things I'm big on is like let the pastor do certain things. But there are people in our pews that really have the time, have the capacity to get involved in some of these associations and conventions. And we, we generally don't think about that, mm -hmm. but that's one thing I encourage planters to do. Get, find someone in your pews that's excited about and passionate about and would like to do something like that and let them get involved. Well, I was definitely encouraged at that Green Bay meeting last year. I, I think a couple years before that, I had been at a meeting, and, and the Green Bay meeting seemed to be twice as large and energized and representative of, of new churches and old churches. And so that, that was an encouragement to see there and to be able to participate in that. We, yeah. we sometimes get the question, you know, and I think this relates a little bit to the relationships that are built at that state and local level and, and maybe some of the accountability that comes from those relationships. We sometimes are asked, what, what's to keep a church from, 
you know, going liberal or something like that and being undetected and in, in remaining a Southern Baptist church or, or what, what's to keep a church from just taking advantage of the resources of the Southern Baptist convention without ever contributing. And I think the answer probably has to do with, with those relationships at the local level, but maybe you could fill us in a little bit on how you think about that. Oh, sure. No, I think, you know, there are a couple of different mechanisms to kind of um, make certain that uh, certain things are in place. And that's part of denominational leadership. That's part of our uh, really promise to the convention is to shepherd those who are shepherding. And, and so, but one of the things that I've seen more often than not, when we have a church, and, and we haven't had many in, in my time, uh, that really is kind of getting off the rails on certain theological points that they've committed to via the Baptist faith and message, it becomes a self-governing. Uh, I've had, in, in the couple of times that we've had situations, I haven't caught it, but someone around them has caught it and let let us know about it. Hmm. And so there was one situation, and we, and again, we're we haven't had many. There have been other state conventions that have had some really bizarre things go on in terms of that, but we haven't had many. But one of the worst things that, uh, and this is not, uh, and and this kind of give you a, a reflection of that we don't deal with a ton of that here. Uh, we had a church in the Twin Cities that on their website uh, they had listed themselves and their their wife as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, for them, that was completely innocent. They hadn't thought anything about it. It was just kind of the, how they had functioned in a previ- previous uh, denominational situation. And so we had another church that just gave me a call, and, and it, was, it, was, it was very humble the way they did it. They, they didn't want to overstep their bounds by talking to the person. They knew I knew them, and they said, hey, I just want to let you know, I'm sure it's innocent, but here's a thing that's happening. And in in a couple of days, a a couple quick conversations, and it it remedied the situation. Um, And so really the the boundary for us are the Baptist faith and message. And so let's say we had a church that has just decided that um, they're going to lean more into egalitarianism than complementarianism. Uh, Then that would be something that once we got involved, uh, we'd have a series of conversations. And if that's the way they felt – then there would probably be an opportunity for them to leave. There would definitely be an opportunity for them to not be a part of the SBC. I'll give you a great example. We had a church plant in actually in your neck of the woods, in the mm-hmm. Burnsville area. Yeah, I think I remember this. Yeah, and uh, this church was, you know, it was a small church, and he was doing great work, and it was um, it was really a, a, an addiction type of ministry, and he had a couple of ladies helping him do certain things, which is great. But then as he left – he actually turned the church over uh, to a, a, a female pastor, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was you know he called and told me too. They, he wasn't trying to hide anything, and he said you know and I understand this this is makes us we won't be able to be SBC anymore. And I and I I appreciated his honesty and let him know yeah that you, you're right. And so they're not a part of uh, the Minnesota Wisconsin Baptist Convention anymore. And 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 if that's the way they wanted to go, that's fine. They just can't be a part of our convention uh, because that's outside the bounds of the Baptist faith and message. And part of our role is making sure that that is that is shepherded well. Well, and I think that's helpful to know that there are individuals like yourself and other leaders in the convention who do keep an eye on those things. But I think there's probably also an instruction there for us as a church to to pursue doctrinal fidelity and health and to build relationships with other churches so that 
if we are in those sorts of situations, we can speak to each other in charity and love and understanding and, and either iron out a misunderstanding or, or be able to chase, chase things down the way that they should. Oh, absolutely. Well, we, I don't think, can end without talking about the impact of the coronavirus on ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention and in the Twin Cities. And I was really encouraged a few weeks ago talking to you about what you've seen in both Minnesota and Wisconsin. So maybe you can just relay some of the the work that you see happening in these two states, and particularly in the South Metro or in the Twin Cities, as we try to better grasp what God is doing through the convention outside of just our little angle in Burnsville. Yeah, you know, it was fascinating when it happened. Uh, we were all quarantined, so we I couldn't do any of the meetings that I once did. So I just began calling pastors, and I began keeping a note uh, of what I, what was the common threads. What did I hear most? And what's fascinating is what I heard most were, were these things. I heard it doesn't make sense, but our tithe is increasing. And for you know, in the midst of this, that didn't make a lot of sense. And you know, we had some some, some things that we thought may maybe were causing that, and and that was early on. And then as we went along, the the other thing I heard was um, it, the difficulty of uh, of pastoring um, through grief. Is like, how do you if, if someone can't go to the hospital? How do we help people grieve? And there was seemed to be an understanding that after this is over, there's going to be a uh, a, a grief that kind of catches up with us. And the third thing, as we started coming back together, I heard church after church say, it doesn't make sense, but as we're gathering, we actually have grown by 10, 15%. Mm. Wow. And so, so when you look at all these things and, you know, certainly we're a people who always looks for the provident hand of God, but it was when you're when I get a chance to talk to so many pastors and I hear this over and over and over and to add to that, we had several people. What God seems to be doing with us, with our churches is building after building, uh, it, church after church is getting into a new building. And and and, and that for us, that's a, a good health, a mark of healthiness, because we, we say move from presence to permanence. And oftentimes a building is is that permanent mark. And so. I was just, I was really taken back. I was surprised. Um, and I was even surprised that pastors weren't a little more tired. Like when I heard, I talked to a couple pastors and there was some, man, I'm really tired, but there really wasn't a lot of that. It was almost as if God had given just a grace in this time to, to feel rested even when you weren't. And so in the midst of this, our goal was to plant 10 churches this year. We're going to end up with 12. Mm. Our goal for next year was to plant 10. We're probably right now we have planned 18 new churches mm. wow. in the midst of a pandemic and race riots. Mm. We can praise the Lord for that. It's, it's always good when we can look at something like that and say, it's only by God's grace that this is happening because right. all of yeah. the factors would, would point us in the other direction. I know. Well, Josh, thank you for talking with us. As we close here, are there any resources that you would point first-time Southern Baptists to to better understand uh, the the Great Commission work that Baptist Southern Baptists are about, or or any other resources that would help us um, better better participate in that work of church planting and revitalization and gospel sharing? Yeah, you know, I, I think the the best thing is uh, if you go to if folks go to the SBC website, 
uh, you're going to see a whole host of just a variety of different things uh, that's going on, what's what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, and so I think that's a good place to start. Uh, in fact, if you if you went there right now, sbc.net, you would see on the very front page, we are Great Commission Baptist on the very front page. And you're going to see a variety of different things where they can look at and understand what they're a part of. Um, and I, I'll, I'll probably go there once or twice every week just to kind of see what's new. So I would say hit going to sbc.net, make yourself more familiar with really the big family that they're a part of. Um, it, it's a big and broad missional family um, and from all walks of life. But, you know, honestly, I've been a part of SBC life for, I guess, man, 17 years now in one, one form or another. And, and I've seen it firsthand. Just the graciousness of SBC and just uh, the missional focus, um, it, it's just really second to none for me. But I'd go to sbc.net, peruse around a little bit, and uh, and just make yourself familiar with that. Well, thank you, Josh. This has been helpful and informative, and I think will serve our church well as we strive to press forward in partnership with other churches in Great Commission work. This is Questions and Answers about the Bible and Theology, a podcast of Crystal Lake Baptist Church in Burnsville, Minnesota. To learn more, you can go to clbcmn.org, where you will find sermons, blog posts, podcasts, and much, much more.